Well, I don't think many of you here would disagree that we are living in some very interesting times. Would you guys agree with that? Maybe crazy would be a better way to describe it. Just a few weeks ago uh, in our Wilkinsburg campus, just blocks from that campus, there was a shooting that killed several people and 11 children in that area. Our church is trying to uh, minister to these kids. 11 children are without a parent because of that uh, act of violence. We all know this week the terrorist attack in Brussels, leaving over 30 people dead, 270 wounded, leaving all of Europe now on high alert, and certainly that has uh, impacted us in the States as well. There's There's a real fear, isn't there? A real fear, and certainly not unwarranted. Some of you may know that um, we're in a political season. Anyone realize that? (laughs) Trash talk and and tweets have taken an all-time low. Four of the five candidates have an unfavorable rating from the American people. Four out of five are more unfavorable than favorable. The world is a crazy place. And then it gets personal. The price of a barrel of oil took a hit. And many of you, I know, uh, are struggling as a result. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you are trying to hang on until the projected turnaround comes in 2017 or 18. And then everyone, everyone has some issue going on in a marriage or with children or with uh, parents or extended family or good friends. None of us are exempt. None of us gets through this thing unscathed with things going on in our life. We have these tremendous blessings and inevitable challenges. Today, there seems to be a fog of fear and disappointment and confusion. About the only news, good news, I heard last week was that Oklahoma is in the final four. How many of you have Oklahoma in the final four? Okay, four smart people in this service. So life is filled with these questions. And and a lot of people, no matter if they, I mean, they have two thoughts of God in their life, but when life hits hard, then they have questions aimed at God. And so we ask God, why questions? God, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen to me? We ask God where questions. God, where were you when this happened? Where are you now? We ask God how questions. God, how long are you going to leave me in this situation? When are you going to come to my rescue? Are you ever going to come to my rescue? Today, I want to take a look at these questions in a little book in the Old Testament, tucked away, written by a a little-known prophet named Habakkuk. Habakkuk writes three chapters in his book, and the structure is very straightforward. The the prophet sets forth a number of questions God answers. Then he sets forth a second series of questions God answers, and then Habakkuk ends with a prayer. Here are Habakkuk's opening words. See if anyone here can relate to what Habakkuk is asking. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, he says, How long, O Lord? How long must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save? Why, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? You ever ask that question? Why do you tolerate wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Can you talk to God like that? Habakkuk did. And God's never surprised as we cry out these questions from our heart. Now, in order to understand why Habakkuk is asking these questions, we need to get a little background. First, Habakkuk was not very happy with the government. In his country, Egypt had uh, taken over, and Egypt had a puppet king named Jehoiakim. He was 25 years old, and he was taxing the people like crazy, and he did not, if you're interested, he did not hold to a flat tax. 2 Kings chapter 23, 35, Jehoiakim taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. So Habakkuk was not very happy about the state of affairs. Secondly, Habakkuk wasn't very happy about the social situation. You heard him asking, God, there's violence all around, there's injustice all around, there's strife all around, conflict surrounds me, the law is ignored, justice never prevails. And thirdly, Habakkuk wasn't happy with the way he saw God interacting in the situation. In fact, God told him that he was going to send the Babylonians to dispense justice, and Habakkuk wasn't happy with that at all. It kind of seems like today, doesn't it? A lot of things not to be happy about. It's amazing, isn't it? Long before iPhones, social media, trains, planes, and automobiles, even before March Madness, People had the same issues that we have today. Frustrations and questions coming from uh, national and international issues, ranging from natural disasters to economic challenges to terrorist attacks. And then it all gets personal. We have our own struggles, our own times of fear and disillusionment and, and, and dissatisfaction and hurt and fear and injustice and unanswered questions knock down the door of our heart like a powerful intruder. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? As crazy, as, as, as terrible as what's going on in, in Belgium, those things get dulled, don't they? When we have our own issues, when the pain gets close. Those, those macro questions of why God become micro questions like, why, God? And we move from the headlines in the paper to the pain in our heart. And we ask God these personal questions. Why, where, and how? And right in the middle, right in the middle of Habakkuk's questions, God says this amazing statement that we want to drill down on a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 4, right in the middle. Habakkuk, yeah, you got all these questions. All this is going on. Chapter 2, verse 4. But the righteous, Habakkuk, don't forget this, the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. What does that mean? Faith in what? A few years ago, I got an email from a guy. I just wanted to read this to you. He, said I, he says, he, he, he emailed me, I was notified by my employer of 20 years that I was to embark on quote, unquote, an orderly exit. It's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? This company had been bought out, and I was not part of the new management team. Negotiations regarding a separation agreement <clears throat> dragged on, and finally I walked out the door of the only employer I'd ever known in this area. 
I was on a Bible through the year reading program. Habakkuk was on my list for one day late in September. By that time, I had been unemployed for two months. The exit came as a shock, and I was not prepared. I knew the background for Habakkuk's writing, but this time through the book, the beginning of the book with the question, how long, took on new meaning. Reading, rereading, further consideration of the book took on a perspective that was pertinent to the time. This verse, the righteous shall live by faith, took on a new importance. The righteous will live by faith. Now, God wants us to know exactly what that means, so the first thing he does is tell us what it doesn't mean. The righteous will not put their faith, God says, in personal power, in personal stuff. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Here God addresses the futility of hoarding money. Absolutely nothing wrong with making money. Absolutely nothing wrong with having money. Money's a tremendous servant. It's just a really bad master. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain and sets his nest on high. Here God addresses the futility of personal power to demonstrate self-worth. Isn't that a temptation? If I just live in a right house, if I just drive the right car, if I just have the right job, if I just have the right title by my name, that makes me significant. What a lie from Satan. What a crock of our significance and security when we base it on stuff. Look at verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. The Babylonians have built all their empire by the blood and sweat of enslaved people. And here God says, what utter futility and future ruin for those who use people and step on people to get what they want. So it's very clear here that God says, I'm not talking about when I say the righteous shall live by faith. I'm not talking about faith in you. I'm not talking about faith in personal power. And God says, secondly, I'm not talking about faith in personal gods. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. God told a back of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. Now, most of us probably don't have gods carved of statues in our homes. Probably a safe assumption, right? If we go to your house afterwards, probably wouldn't have to walk by a God carved of image, but it's amazing how many temptations to gods there are. During this political season, many people at least seem to make government their God. Their hopes, their dreams, their security is based in the right leader who's going to fix all of our problems and all of our woes. Now, we need to be involved in the political process, and we need to know what each candidate stands for, and we need to vote. But if we think a president is going to fix everything, then we're trusting in the wrong God. 
Charles Coulson always said, the kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. He's not going to fly in with the president. There are also gods of money in our area, successful people, hard workers, self-made individuals can easily succumb to the temptation of bowing down to the gods of money, right? We know that. Temptation for everybody. And we have to be careful that that does not become our God, nor the gods of, t- of possessions, to just have the right stuff. We, we get that stuff. We buy that stuff. And then our hearts are still as empty as they were before we had it. Possessions cannot meet the need of an empty heart. So right in the middle of that, God says, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And it's not about faith in yourself, and it's not about faith in stuff. It says in verse 20 of chapter 2, in contrast to all that, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. As we move from the Old Testament to the New, we see that there was a day when God left his holy temple and came down to earth. We see in John chapter 1, these words, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning. He's always been. He's eternal. And the word was what? With God. And the word was God. So here we have God leaving his holy temple and coming down to earth. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully God. And John goes on to tell us he was fully man. The word, God himself became flesh, the incarnation. He became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, full of grace and truth. And so we have in one person, Jesus Christ, who left his holy temple, fully God and fully man. And he came for a specific purpose. Now, when he first came, those in Israel thought that he was going to come and deliver them from the political oppression of Rome. They thought that he was going to establish the country like it had been under the days of King David and King Solomon. And he was going to bring them back to an economic success. But Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to do something much more important. We've been studying through the book of Genesis, remember? And and we see in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were given all these things, all these blessings, and one command. You have everything, God said, everything you could ever want, everything you could ever need. Every time God's God's law, God's command is placed in the, the, the context of blessing. There's one thing God said you can't eat. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat it, you shall what? You're going to die. And they did. And death entered into the human race. Just like a, a poison at the beginning of a stream contaminates the entire stream. So Adam's sin, the first man, contaminated us all. In Adam, Scripture says, all sin. And that sin separates us from God. And it brings on death. So Jesus came. He left his holy temple fully God, fully man, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He did not come to be a good teacher, although he was. He didn't come to be a great leader, although he was. He came to do one thing. 
He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve us and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to pay the penalty to get us out of the enslavement of sin. He came to ransom us. He came to give his life so that we could go free. Jesus came to die for our sins, sins that we could not die for ourselves, sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves. Jesus came fully God, fully man. As God, he didn't have to die for his own sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. As man, he was able to die on our behalf. Fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ came and died as our ransom. That is, the, that is the simple and profound message of the gospel. The righteous will live by faith in what? In Jesus Christ alone. Have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way you can have an eternal relationship with the living God? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone? as the only way to know with certainty, not maybe, not 50%, not even 75%, with certainty that when you close your eyes in death, you will wake up in heaven itself because Jesus, the first fruits, has passed through death to life and we follow him even in death when we follow him in life. We said the Lord's Prayer earlier together. There was in the New Testament church a Christian creed that People would have known then, just as well as we know, the Lord's Prayer. Commentators say this could have been one of the earliest Christian creeds in existence. And Paul shares it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to go through it because this is the crux of the gospel. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to understand what it means to trust in Jesus Christ alone. Paul says, for what I received, I pass on to you. This was given to me. I'm a steward of this. I received it and I pass it on to you as of first importance. If you don't get anything else, Paul says, this is what you got to know. This is primary. This is of first importance. And this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Jesus Christ came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died, fully God, fully man, died for our sins, died in our place, died as our substitute. He did it according to the scripture. He was not a victim of the Roman government. He was not a victim of religious leaders. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that should have been on us was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Everything Jesus did was according to the scripture. As proof that he died, he was buried. He died, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scripture. And Paul goes on to show all the people that he appeared to, to demonstrate, to prove that he was indeed alive. That's the good news pure and simple, so profound that it changes our eternity, so simple and straightforward, a child can understand it. That's what God has done for us. The question is this, has he done that for you? Have you trusted in Christ alone 
as the only way to have a relationship with the living God? Have you trusted in Christ alone as the way you can know for sure that you can live a life now of meaning and significance and when you close your eyes in death? Because if you disagree with everything else I say, right? I think you're going to agree with this. We're all going to die. What then? What's going to happen the moment you close your eyes in death? Easter's not a once-a-year dress-up event. Easter is not about Easter bunnies and Easter egg hunts. By the way, I have no problem with Easter egg hunts. Our family has done that for years. Lori gets these little eggs, plastic ones, and she puts candy in those things. And then she buys those Reese's peanut butter eggs. Those are the best. They're creamier than the regular. Have you guys noticed this? And so what I do, I go hide those eggs, but I take out all the Reese's peanut butter eggs <laughs> because kids will eat anything, and there's, nothing, there's no reason to waste good chocolate on, on kids. <laughs> they got no problem. They got no problem with traditions that surround Easter unless we substitute the traditions for what Easter is really about. So my question to you today is this. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way you can have a relationship with the living God? Guys, that's the deal. That's what life is about. We're going to die. And we're either going to wake up separated from God forever in a place that he unapologetically calls hell, or we're going to wake up in heaven itself. Do you know for certain where you're going to spend eternity? You see, Jesus came to die. And Easter reminds us that he rose from the grave. He is the first fruits of those who rose from the grave. He leads the way. And so scripture says when we die, we, if we know him, we pass from death to life. We follow the one who conquered death itself. And we don't celebrate Easter as a believer one day a year. We celebrate it every day. Every day we are thankful for what Jesus has done for us and only Jesus. Jesus is not one of many good ways to God. He says, I'm it. I'm the only way. No one else is fully God fully man. Only Jesus, only Jesus can pay the penalty for our sin. And that's my question to you. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? I can promise you this, based on God's word. When you trust in Jesus Christ, when you trust in him, you will know for certain that if you close your eyes in death, you'll wake up and see his face in heaven. But you don't have to wait until you die to experience the meaning and the purpose and the significance that he gives you. At the end of his book, Habakkuk wrote this. I love this passage. And this reminds us that for the believer, there's challenges in the believer's life as well. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there's no grape, there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. It's been a pretty bad day so far, right? Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Can you say that? I will be joyful in God my Savior. So whatever you got going on in your life, when you trust in Christ, you can be joyful today, tomorrow, and through eternity in God your Savior. And that's our plea today. Will you trust in Jesus Christ? Kirk's going to come out and lead us in a last song. We're going to ask in just a second that the pastoral staff and elders in this service come down. But as they're getting ready to come and as Kirk is coming, I want to lead you in a prayer. I believe God's working in some of your hearts. And it's only God who can work in your heart. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I just want, I want you to know this prayer does not save you, okay? This is simply a guide. And if God is working in your heart, you know it, and he knows it. And you can put these words in your own words and let him know that today is the day that you desire to trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with Christ. Today is the day where you can be transformed from the inside out. So close your eyes, and if that's your desire, you can, you can pray this prayer in your own words. Heavenly Father, you are God, and I am not. I thank you for hearing me today. I thank you for speaking to my heart. I can sense you doing that. I can feel you doing that. Father, right now, I, don't, I do not have the assurance that if I died, I would spend eternity with you. Right now, there's an emptiness in my life that I keep trying to fill it with a lot of different stuff to no avail chasing after stuff and I'm just as empty when I grab it as I was before I had it. So today I admit I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer you. I can't work my way to you. I can't earn a position with you. But I thank you that I know that Jesus Christ came for me and did everything for me that I could never do. I thank you that Jesus Christ came and he died for my sins, past, present, and future. I thank you that Jesus came and he made a way for me to have a relationship with you, the living God. And today I trust in Jesus alone, not as a good way to you or one of many ways to you. I trust in Jesus as the only way anyone, me, 
I can have a relationship with you. Lord, right now, I am placing my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ alone. I thank you for accepting me into your family by the work of Christ. I thank you in Jesus' name.